I think that's an awesome idea, being able to write a, a letter to your child and uh, just so far ahead, you know, just to tell them all the things that you wanted to tell. I know that I, I wish that I had done something like that with my girls when they were young. There's so many things that I think I would have said, um, so much love that I would pour into it, and uh, so many dad jokes that I would have told. So, in fact, I, I have a few this morning that I want to try out on you, uh, just because I won't see my girls till next week, and so I don't have anybody to tell these jokes to, so I'm going to try them out on you. You ready? Okay, here comes one. What do you call a man without a body and a nose? Nobody knows. <laughs> what do you call a funny group of cows? A laughing stock. Okay, what do you call a cute door? Adorable. <laughs> All right, so maybe they're not so good, but <laughs> I'll keep working on them until next week. So happy Father's Day. Uh, the cynical among us would say that it's just another Hallmark greeting card day designed to sell more cards. But not so. You know, the very first Father's Day, uh, the very first card was carved by a Babylonian youth by the name of El Mesu. And uh, let me put that up there. This is his Father's Day greeting card. It kind of puts ours to shame a little bit. He did this nearly 4,000 years ago, and he carved a message to his dad on it in clay, wishing him good health and long life. And so... It's not just a made-up holiday to sell greeting cards. Now, I have to confess that I found this story on the Hallmark greeting card site, so <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Father's Day as we know it uh, was the idea of a woman named Sonora Louise Dodd, and um, she got the idea in church. She was uh, listening to a Mother's Day sermon and got the idea to do a Father's Day celebration. See what you learn when you listen in church? All kinds of things. So she wanted to honor her father, who was a Civil War veteran, and his wife had died young, and he raised his six children all by himself and did that for 21 years. And so she encouraged the churches in the area to start a Father's Day observance, and that eventually caught on. It started in 1910. And um, since then, there have been all kinds of Father's Day proclamations. But, you know, it didn't even officially become a day until Richard Nixon signed it into law in the 1970s. So that's a long, long time. But all that time, it was unofficially celebrated, especially in churches. Father's Day has kind of become a day where we not only honor fathers, but all men who are a father figure in someone's life. You know, sometimes that's a stepfather or an uncle or a grandfather or others who fill that role. We honor them on Father's Day. Now, I recognize that Father's Day is not always an easy day for everyone. Uh, if you lost a spouse or if you lost a child or if you experienced... Um, well, your experience with your dad was not so good growing up, um, we understand that this day might be a difficult day for you. But uh, we do have another father, another father who won't hurt us or leave us, one who loves us. Um, you know, actually, the very first Father's Day happened on the day that God created us. You know, God is our father, and he's the ultimate role model. Regardless of the father that we had growing up, God teaches us 
who God is or who a father is or who a father should be, what a father is like. Our Father in heaven is how Jesus taught us to pray, right? Our Father in heaven. You know, calling God Father was not really a common thing in Jesus' day. It was not a new thing. In the Old Testament, we see, you know, God is called the Father of Israel. But in the New Testament era, people would be very, very hesitant to call God Father. Um, it just seemed too personal or too forward or too intimate. Um, he could be called the Father, but he was almost never called my Father. So, you know, along comes Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, and he's talking about God as his Father. And, and when he did that, people got really angry, especially if they heard him do it in Aramaic, which is a version of Hebrew. Like in Gethsemane, for example, when Jesus is talking to God on that, that night in which he was arrested. And he gets very intimate with God. And he calls God this Aramaic name for father, Abba. It's a very, very personal name. This is not just calling God father, but calling him something more personal like daddy or dad. Uh, I've read that Christians adopted the practice pretty early on, calling God Abba. And the Apostle Paul begins to teach partway through as he's writing Galatians and he's writing to the Colossians. He uses the word Abba in the book of Revelation. We find the word Abba, this name. And by the end of that first century, a lot of early churches, a lot of those people were starting to use this name for God in their personal prayer life. It's a very intimate way of talking to God. But who is this father this God who lets us call him dad. I mean, what's he like? He's the God who adopted us as children, uh, especially when we chose to believe in him and in his son, Jesus. He's the father who sent his son to redeem us from our sin. He did that by dying for our sins and giving his life for our sins. When we believe in who Jesus is and uh, what he has done, and when we receive him as our Lord and as our Savior, um, we become family. We become children of God. And God becomes our Father. Uh, we become part of a family that's on a journey together. We're guided by the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, he says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. When we come into a relationship with God, you know, there's that sense that we, we know that something has changed because our spirit connects with God's spirit. And we start to have that communication. And, and there's this intimacy that I think is introduced to us on that first day. God places his Holy Spirit in us on that day and begins to lead us through life. And even more, because we have God's spirit, we're God's family. And, you know, we read through the Old Testament, and I think it's very easy for us to get an impression of God who is very distant and sometimes very angry. But when we receive Jesus, 
And when we start to come into this personal relationship with God, God becomes more familiar. He becomes more intimate. And that distant God that we thought he was, we find out that that's not the case. That's not the God we worship, that God is much closer. God is our father. He is our daddy, and we are his children. Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Well, what's all this talk about sons? I mean, is this a boys club? What's going on here? How come it, it says in these passages that talk about us becoming family that he calls us sons, especially when there are some daughters in the group? Well, it, it used to be that only firstborn sons had the right of inheritance, or at least the inheritance of the larger part of the property, the, the greatest gift, you might say. And, uh, but here, it's saying that everybody, every person has gained that same right, the right of sons, uh, men and women. And no matter what your birth order, you know, it was the firstborn who got the better part, right? But, but now we all have the equivalent of inheritance in God the same. So, how does a father who loves us and who lets us call him dad, how does he treat his children? Well, what do you know about God? Think about that for a moment. What do you know about God's character? What do you know about who he is? Uh, there's a, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says that God is a spirit whose being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth are infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. If God is wise, he shares his wisdom with you. If God is powerful, he shares his power with you. He uses his power for you, and he teaches you to use your, his power in his name for his purposes. He was separated from us because of our sin. But because he loved us, he sent Jesus to die on the cross so that that separation would be removed. He's just, and he's good, and he's true, and all of these things are eternal. They never, ever change. 1 John 3, 1 tells us that God is loving. In fact, he's not skimpy with that love. He shares that love. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. It means he's got a whole lot of love, and he shares that love freely. The father who calls his children, he's kind, the scriptures say. If you want a good description of God's love, go to the so-called love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. You know, it's talking about the kind of love that we hope to have, but it's really talking about what God's love is like. You know, it's a reflection of God's love. Psalm 103 tells us the Lord is compassionate. Oh, got to go back. He's compassionate and gracious slow to anger, abounding in love. Our Father is giving. Well, my favorite giving verse is probably the most well-known verse, and that is, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This Father that we know is merciful, and he's strong, and he's forgiving, and he's good, 
and he's righteous, and he's caring. All of these things are things that the Scripture says about the Father whom we love and who loves us, and more. There's so much more. Uh, there's a, an interesting story I read the other day uh, about the early days of computers. Back in, in the early 2000s when computers were really beginning to kind of kick up and develop, um, they weren't quite as sophisticated as they are now. And uh, there was a fellow, a 24-year-old fellow, who changed his name, and he changed his last name to Null. His full name was Raven Felix Null. Well, in computer terms, Null means zero or nothing, or null cancels something out. We say that something nullifies another thing. Um, so one of the interesting things that happened after he changed his name to null was he found out that computer programming couldn't necessarily handle that name. And, and so he began to get all kinds of free stuff. Um, it was somehow incompatible with the programming. And so um, it recognized his last name as an absence of data, and it refused to accept it, and it refused to accept him as a person. And so um, it turned out that the glitch made computers give him things for free. And so he got free trips, he got free hotel rentals, he got free car rentals, he got all kinds of free things uh, just because his last name was Null. But he didn't change his name to get free stuff. That's not why he changed it. Uh, according to the Daily Mail, he changed his name to reflect his relationship with his family. He chose the word null as a family name because it means nothing, meaning I'm not connected to my family in any way anymore, he said. Now, some people, when they read the story, I, I think they see only the lucky guy getting their free stuff. But I think the real story is about how Raven did not feel loved. He did not feel he had a loving family to the point where he didn't feel like anything. He didn't feel like a real person anymore. And so he changed his name to Null because he felt he had no value to his family, that he was worth nothing to them. Well, it's kind of a sad story. But our story doesn't have to be like Raven's story. We have a family that we belong to. We have a family that we are valued in. We have a family where we're cherished because we have a loving Father in heaven. And even if your earthly family has abandoned you or left you feeling alone or left you feeling without value, your heavenly Father loves you with an everlasting love and he welcomes you into his eternal family and into the fellowship of Jesus' love. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, remain or abide in my love. Scripture says that, that our Father is ever-present. For example, in Psalm 46, it says that God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Well, what does it mean that God is ever-present? Some of you maybe grew up with fathers that were ever-absent, that weren't there hardly at all, who weren't there when you needed them. But that's not our God in heaven. That's not our Father. Our Abba, our Abba, our God, our Daddy in heaven, He's our refuge. That means we can go to Him when we need a place to hide, 
when we need a place to be safe, when we need a place for shelter. Running to the Father gives us a place to get out of the storm. He's gracious. He's powerful. He's our healer. He's the one who saves us. He's our helper. And he's the one that makes all things new, including us. You know, I can't stress the Father's love enough. It's that one overriding characteristic that, that connects with us, I think, so easily. We begin to understand this beautiful, giving, sacrificing, um, just all-encompassing love, this love that brought this greatest sacrifice and greatest gift in Jesus when he sent him to us. I love the story of the prodigal father because I, or the prodigal son, see, I corrected it in my head and it came out of my mouth. You know, I think that uh, sometimes, sometimes, this is our relationship with God. In the prodigal son, the father stands at the road and he waits for his wandering lost son. And Day after day, he goes out to the road and he watches and he longs for his son. And then one day he looks down the road and he sees this child coming home. And of course, you know the story, he holds the biggest party that they've ever seen. Well, that's how our father in heaven feels about you. He waits for his son or his daughter to come home, to come to Jesus to become a child of God, to become part of the family through faith in Jesus. You know, it all starts by believing, right? We began with a, a video with dads talking about what they'd write in a letter to their young child when they turned 18. Now, I want to do something with you that's, that's a, maybe turns that around a little. I'd like you to close your eyes for a moment. And I'd like you to imagine that you are that child opening that letter at some crucial time in your life, some really important time in your life. Based on what we know from Scripture, the things that it reveals about God, what, think about what our Heavenly Father might say to us if He were the one writing that letter to us. Let's listen to a moment, or for a moment, to an imaginary letter which is maybe not so imaginary in intent. Dear precious child of mine, I love you. I love you all the time, every second of every day. I loved watching your first steps and your first steps of faith. I loved watching your determination, watching you try and fail and try again. You know I love you even when you mess up and even when you don't get things right. I love you even when you're mad at me and blame me for all kinds of things. And I love you when you come back to me and when you call me daddy. I love you on those dark and depressing days when it feels like nobody loves you. And I love you when you don't seem to have the strength to smile and maybe even especially then. I love you, and I promise that I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm always, always with you, 
Where you walk, I walk. My love for you is unconditional. I will not snatch it away because you're angry at me. I won't leave you for somebody else. I won't abandon you because I'm too selfish or self-absorbed. You are always my highest priority. I am never too busy for you. I want you to know that my love is patient with you. I will always wait for you to come home to me. I will ache for you. I will long for you until you enter my gate. My love makes me stand at the gate and watch for you every day and every night until I see you coming. And my love celebrates you. Though you may not feel me, my arms are wrapped around you when you cry. I weep when you weep because you are mine. I suffer when you suffer. My love makes me shed tears for you when you are in pain. In your darkest moments, I will not stop loving you. I love you as you try to figure out what it is to be a dad or a mom or a step-parent or a grandparent or a son or a daughter. I love you with every part of my being. You are my child and I am your father. Yours always love death. Can you receive that? Can you receive that kind of love from God? Let's do that formally. Let me do something else different with you this morning. Will you just open your hands like this? Just open your hands to God. Will you repeat this after me? Father God, I know that you love me. And I receive your love and your blessing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Happy Father's Day.